0: Good morning. Good morning. It is my privilege this morning to introduce our 2018 Kuiper Lecturer, the Reverend Dr. Matthew Kamink. Uh That was nice. Someone cheered for him already. Uh, Dr. Kamink is an assistant professor of Christian ethics at Fuller Theological Seminary and also serves as the associate dean of Fuller, Texas, in Houston, Texas. Uh, He is also a fellow of the Center for Public Justice in Washington, DC. His research and teaching focuses on reformed public theology, Islam and political ethics, workplace theology, and theology and culture. His new book published by Erdmans is entitled Christian Hospitality and Muslim Immigration in an Age of Fear. Uh, He earned his Master of Divinity from Princeton Theological Seminary and holds doctoral degrees, uh, one in systematic theology from the Free University in Amsterdam, and the other in Christian ethics from Fuller Theological Seminary. Um, as a Fulbright scholar in Amsterdam, he studied political theology and the European conflict over Muslim immigration. Uh, Dr. Kaming is an ordained minister in the Christian Reformed Church. He and his wife, Heather, live now in Houston, Texas with their three sons, Calvin, Case, and Kaibman. Uh, I am thrilled to tell you that not only will he be speaking in chapel today and in a special Tuesday chapel tomorrow, uh, but we also have opportunity to hear from him and from a distinguished panel of our own faculty members this afternoon. They will be discussing themes uh, from and developing out of Dr. Kaming's book. Um, That panel includes Professor Christiana Fitzpatrick, uh, Professor John Rush, and Professor Jay Green, That's at four o'clock this afternoon in Sanderson 215. um, Chapel credit available if you attend. Um, I would encourage you to attend. It should be a really great uh, conversation about our response as Christians to the challenges posed by immigration. Um, Dr. Mink is not a Scot. He is a Whitworth pirate. Uh, He earned his BA in political science from Whitworth. However. His sister, Carla, is a Scot, a former volleyball player here at Covenant College. So for Carla's sake, would you please offer a warm Scot's welcome to Dr. Matthew Camey?
1: All right, so I speak here in honor of Carla. (laughs) Thank you so much for having me, Uh, President Halverson. Covenant College, it's wonderful to be here. Um, This is actually my second time to Covenant College. I came here 15 years ago after I had finished school. I was interested in international development, and I uh, came to sit at the feet of Brian Fickert for a week and uh, learned from him. I was really passionate about a career in international development and soon after spending time with Brian, I decided to go a different direction. (laughs) I'm 6'4", but I imagine I just wasn't tall enough. It's good to be here. Um, We're going to be exploring today this issue of Muslim immigration, Christian politics, and Holy Week. Uh, My talk is is divided into two parts. And uh, so if you want to hear both of them, you're going to have to come tomorrow. (laughs) Um, This is a tense topic, uh, a topic of of sensitivity and emotion. Uh, In the title of my book, I have Age of Fear as a description of what we're dealing with. Um, But here at Covenant College, I am told that Christ is preeminent in all things and we do not run away from Uh, difficult questions. In fact, we cannot uh, in this world of deep globalization where deep difference is coming at us in uh, faster, deeper and closer ways, we must explore um, the implications of the gospel in every area of life, including uh, in the difficult, uh, mysterious, and uncertain places. And Muslim immigration in the West is certainly one of those places Um, So I hope that you can join me tomorrow as we uh, close this up and this afternoon uh, with a panel discussion. Um, But we're going to be talking about Muslim immigration, Christian politics, and Holy Week. What does it mean that we're discussing this moment within Holy Week, right? As a way of framing this discussion, I want to look specifically at the issue in Europe. Because while Muslim immigration is something we've been talking about here in the United States in a very intense way over the last couple of years, uh, especially in the wake of the Syrian refugee crisis. This photo up here, by the way, um, is a photo of uh, Syrian refugees uh, taking a boat from Turkey um, to Greece. It was taken by an Italian photographer named Antonio Macielo. And uh, here they are coming aboard, um, they have left Syria by the millions and are looking for a safe place to go. But Muslim Im- immigration has been an issue in Europe for a strong issue of debate for over 30 years now. So they've been dealing with this issue for much longer than, than we have here in the United States. And this issue brings up all kinds of questions for people in North America and in Europe. Questions about terrorism and security, questions about headscarves and religious freedom, questions about free speech, and questions about uh, mosques being built, and uh, more and more questions continue to come at us. In Europe, there are two main voices, or two main reactions to this issue, ways in which Europeans have responded to the Muslims that have come to their door. And uh, we'll use the language of high walls and open doors to describe those two big voices. They really suck up the, op- the uh, oxygen in the European debate. So first of all, the high walls response. This is noted by a posture of restriction. Restriction of immigration um, and high, high restrictions in terms of who is let in. Uh, a focus on security, on law and order. Uh, looking at Muslims primarily as a security risk. A focus on nationalism and national identity and questions of how we can uh, build up the identity of France or the identity of Germany or the identity of Britain as a distinct national culture to confront Muslim culture. And a focus on hard assimilation, um, finding ways to make Muslims French, make Muslims Dutch, make Muslims German, how can we use our school systems and our welfare systems and our laws and restrictions to make these people assimilate, to make them like us. This is the language of high walls in Europe. The other focus is more on open doors, which is obviously sort of a a posture of openness and, and welcome in Europe. A focus on government aid, we are going to um, help them uh, with housing and food and healthcare and help them with job training Uh, and a focus rather on multiculturalism rather than on nationalism and national culture which is a desire to sort of um, encourage the diversity of cultures and provide funding for unique cultural centers and unique uh, schools. And then finally, more of a soft assimilation focus, which is uh, if we help Muslim immigrants, if we educate them, if we're kind to them, maybe they will become like us. So both sides really seek assimilation, uh, but they, they use it in different methods, right? One is, one is more of a carrot, and one, of, one is more of a, a stick. Um, but high walls and open doors is really, um, it's a simple, but that's, that's, that's essentially the European discussion. And I think here in the United States you can start to hear that as well. I'm interested in the question of how we move beyond this, and specifically how Christians think uh, beyond these categories. And that's what we're going to be talking about today, and uh, more essentially tomorrow. But before we do, I want to look really briefly at the Dutch experience with this. This is where I did my research in the Netherlands because it's a very intense place of fighting between uh, Muslims, multiculturals, and more nationalists, right wing nationalists. For many, many years, they had an open door policy of, of a lot of generosity, a lot of tolerance, a lot of hospitality. Um, and uh, a lot of what we might call uh, political correctness. And by that I mean uh, restrictions on criticizing Islam, criticizing Muslim immigration, um, a refusal to have a discussion about the challenges that were involved in Muslim immigration. So you weren't really allowed to question it, and you were sort of uh, accused of being bigoted or racist if you wanted to discuss it. But what happened was, uh, sort of suppressing the debate with political correctness didn't work. Uh, The native Dutch people started to become more and more critical of Islam. Now this man up here, his name is Theo van Gogh, Theo van Gogh, in Dutch. And he was a film director, and he's actually the great grandnephew of Vincent van Gogh. And he was a very... um, uh, very provocative filmmaker. And he did not like Islam at all. He did not like Muslim immigrants. And he made fun of them a lot. And he sort of broke through that political correctness. And uh, he was very mean and cruel. And uh, one of the films that he made was particularly gruesome. It was called Submission. And it depicted five Muslim women, who were telling their stories of abuse by Muslim men and it stripped their, their naked bodies and printed the Koran on their skin and showed beating marks on them and it depicted Islam as a horrific, violent, uh, disgusting ideology. It, it promised to unveil Islam and show us the true evil of Islam. This got a reaction And uh, one reaction was that um, Theo van Gogh was actually killed. He was killed by a young Muslim man on the streets of Amsterdam. One morning he went out to uh, ride his bicycle and Mohammed Boyeri shot him off of his bicycle and chased him across the street, shot him a few more times, and then stabbed him 50 times in the middle of Amsterdam in front of 50 people and then tried to cut off his head. This is Vincent van Gogh's great grandnephew lying dead in the street in Amsterdam. The political correctness uh, broke after this. In the backlash, um, 40 mosques and churches were burned across the Netherlands. And the Netherlands experienced an intense shift from the left to the right. And the politics of high walls took hold. This is uh, a far right-wing uh, politician in the Netherlands who is very, very critical of Islam and holds two very intense views about Muslim immigrants and promises to reduce their numbers in the Netherlands. His name is Hirt Wilders. I don't, I don't know uh, why right-wing politicians tend to have bright blonde hair and tangerine skin Uh, But, there you go. Builders. Um, So, while this is a complex story, um, I think it does illuminate the problems with both uh, open doors and high wall policies. Um, It shows how both of them are a dead end. How both the right and the left uh, fail to give Christians a thoughtful way forward on the open doors side uh, the the open doors side tends to be romantic about um, Muslims and Christians and secular people all getting along in this sort of rainbow society and sort of saying that we're all similar we're all God's children and it's going to be okay as long as we're tolerant Um, the differences aren't really that deep Uh, open doors policies tend to not really take seriously the the real and deep challenges of difference. Uh, It tends to be quite patronizing, which is that um, if we just help these Muslim immigrants, if we give them education, and we um, give them healthcare, and we give them jobs, eventually they will see that our way of life is so much better than theirs. Um, Eventually they will learn. um, they're, they're clearly backwards, they're clearly in need of us, our help. It tends to be quite patronizing. And then it's unsustainable. Um, this sort of left, left-wing, open-doors policy um, doesn't give us the democratic virtues we need to sustain deep difference. So it can suppress debate with sort of political correct rules, but it cannot cultivate affection for one another a deep love, a deep desire to listen a deep desire to know one another it sort of suppresses debate um, with politically correct rules and so it it cannot teach its citizens to actually love one another on the high wall side uh, it's simply too late, Muslims are already here you can't. There, there are millions of Muslims in Europe. There are millions of Muslims here in the United States. And walls doesn't really the answer the question of how we live with the Muslims who are already here, who are already in our neighborhoods and schools and businesses. Um, walls, that that can't really answer the question. It skirts the question. It's fear-based, it's provocative, right? In history, we don't really have a historical example of a country flourishing on a political ethos of fear. It doesn't work. It can't hold people together. Fear is fundamentally unsustainable. It cannot provide us with the tools we need to live together with deep, deep difference. Now, this issue is way more complicated than this, been given 25 minutes so by the book right <laughs> so but where are Christians on this where are Christians in Europe where are Christians in the United States my read on this is that Christians c- citizens by and large here in the United States are following rather than leading they are following the politics of high walls or the politics of open doors The politics of nationalism or the politics of multiculturalism. The mission here at Covenant College is is Christ's preeminence, right? In all things. But where's Christ? Where's Christ in how we think about this issue? What difference does Holy Week make? You just went through Palm Sunday. Now we're moving into... Uh, Maundy Thursday and Good Friday and Easter. Friends, what difference does Easter make for how you think about your Muslim neighbors? How is it gonna how is it gonna change the way in which you think about your future Muslim boss or your future Muslim students? Does Easter have an impact on how you respond to them? Does it have an impact on how you respond to a politician who is preaching hate? Is Easter just about your personal salvation and your personal Lord and Savior? Or is Easter about the Lord and Savior of the whole world? Is he just Jesus of your heart and you have another Lord for your politics? Where are Christians? Where is Christ? How do we think about this? These are the Kuiper lectures. We have here Abraham Kuyper. If you don't know very much about him, you should learn about him. If for nothing else, then he has a wonderful taste in pipes. Isn't that a tremendous pipe? That looks like a Lord of the Rings pipe to me. Abraham Kuiper was a Christian theologian and a political activist in the Netherlands. And his relevance for this issue is quite striking because he came to prominence as a reformed Christian in an age of deep division. The Netherlands was divided between uh, a group of Catholics, a group of Calvinists, a group of liberals, and a group of socialists. And they were all about the same size. None of them controlled the country and they had to learn to live together with deep, deep difference, right? The socialists wanted to take the Netherlands in a socialist direction. The Catholics wanted to take it in a Catholic direction, but none of them had enough power to hold this. Now, Kuiper was the leader of the Calvinist group, and in that group, there were a good amount of Calvinists who really wanted to take the country back. They wanted to take over the public schools and make lots of little Calvinists. They wanted to make the Netherlands great again, right? Make it Calvinist. And they were going to use governmental power to do so. Other Calvinists wanted to sort of run away and sort of hold up in their little rural villages and not engage the issue, right? So you had sort of those two big options. One is, let's take the country back with the use of political power, the other is, let's sort of run away. Let's sort of have our little um, little secret Calvinist societies and keep our light under a bushel. Kuiper introduced a third way, that of pluralism. And he specifically did this out of a Christian perspective and out of a Christ-centered response. And he had two specific arguments about what it means to follow Christ in a divided society. And he said we need to take a real understanding of Christ's sovereignty in all things. Or, since I'm here, Christ's preeminence in all things. He said that Christ alone is king over this nation, not Christians. Christ alone is king and so we need to let go of trying this dream of trying to control our nation because christ alone holds that throne so christ alone is king over every space so that means every school every club every business every organization christ alone is king and that means christians are not Christ alone is king over time, over the history of the nation. Christ holds the future of the nation in his hands. And so Christians cannot try to turn history, uh, try to grasp it for themselves, because that would be grasping something that belongs to Christ alone. So there's this sort of uh, loosening of the Christian grip. And that ultimately what ultimately what Kuiper argued is that as you try to grasp the nation, as you try and steer it, right, as you try to take it back, ultimately what you're saying is that you believe that Jesus needs you, that he needs you to save the nation because he's somehow weak. Christ alone holds that throne. Christ alone Now, we're going to be exploring this more uh, tomorrow and this afternoon. Um, But uh, before we do, what I want to add here in my time um, tomorrow is that what Kuiper really focused on was the implications of the crown, of Christ's crown, for how we think about difference, right? If, If Christ has a crown, then we do not. We cannot try to control Muslim mosques and Muslim clothing, because Christ is Lord over our Muslim neighbors. So he really focuses on Christ's crown. Tomorrow, I want to focus on Christ's cross. As we're here in Holy Week, what does the cross have to say about how we uh, interact with our Muslim neighbors? How is it a demonstration of hospitality amidst deep, deep pain, uh, fear, and violence. A hospitality that endures. So that's what we're going to be talking about tomorrow. But I want to close with this. And this has come to be uh, a central conviction of mine and a central message to Christians in America as they think about this. When I was in the Netherlands, I was meeting with a uh, Dutch woman who was showing hospitality to Muslim immigrants who were coming out of a a refugee asylum center. She was having them over for coffee and cake. That's what Dutch people do. (laughs) And she said to me with a very stern look, she said, I don't understand why my fellow Christians are afraid of Muslims coming to the Netherlands. And she was very serious. Why should we be afraid? She says, it's wrong. She said, Muslims should be the ones who are afraid to come here. Why? (laughs) She said, they should be afraid to come here because Christians will love them so very deeply that they will be tempted to convert. Friends, the politics of high walls and the politics of open doors primarily think about Muslim immigration as a problem to be solved a question to be answered. I want to submit to you that Muslim immigration in the United States is a profound opportunity for the church to remember what the gospel is all about. For the church to remember who their Lord and Savior is. That in our interactions with our Muslim neighbors, we experience and know the love the saving love of Jesus. That he meets us in those difficult moments. That he walks with us. That Muslim immigration is a profound opportunity for the church to be the church. Will you pray with me? Gracious God, we lift up our nation to you in this time of political turmoil, fragmentation, fear and disbelief. God, we offer up this nation to you. This nation belongs to you. You hold it in your hands. May we be ambassadors of your peace, ambassadors of your gospel. May we reflect the hospitality that you have shown us. That the hospitality that you demonstrated to us on the cross is a hospitality that we must offer to others. God, save us from our fear. Save us from our apathy. Lead us to be people of hospitality. People of love. People who embody your gospel. It's in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.